2: This is a CBC podcast.
0: I guess it kind of all started in grade 6. There was this video circulating. It was like a, it was a turtle with a straw on its head, and it was really disturbing. And I remember um me and my friends, we decided that we were going to try and take straws away from our entire school. And it was it wasn't a terrible idea. We were doing pretty good. And then these boys in our class, I guess they found it really funny somehow. And so they would buy straws during lunch hour and fill our desks with straws. It was just infuriating, just still thinking, well, I guess the world is filled with people like that. So I can't do anything because all they're going to do is go buy more straws. And then I was on Instagram one day and I saw a story about A young woman named Greta Thunberg, and she was doing a strike. And I guess I'd heard of strikes, but I didn't think kids could do strikes. I didn't think, like, I could do a
1: strike. That's Miauda Dion Stout. That moment when she saw the young Swedish activist. It changed everything for her. Miawda was just 12, but she realized there were things she could do, like picking up a megaphone and protesting.
0: Your voice sounds so powerful and like people have to listen. You can't ignore a megaphone. You have to listen to people. And it was such a powerful feeling.
1: A year and a half ago, she was one of several grade six students to start the climate strikes in Winnipeg. They were once a month on Fridays, kids of all ages. There was one strike where close to 800 young people showed up.
0: We were walking on an intersection and I was like talking to the megaphone. And the telephone poles around me, I guess it somehow picked up the sound, but I remember it kind of rang a bit, and the birds sitting on the wire, they started flying away, like, quacking, quacking. And I remember just thinking, wow, they're going to carry my words
1: all the way to their next telephone pole. Megan Mast is a Winnipeg-based journalist, and she was there. She says there was no missing Meowta in the crowd. Yeah, I remember
3: seeing Miawada last September at the big global march um, in Winnipeg. And she was leading the march with like 10,000 people walking behind her. She was drumming and singing. Sunny Lewis was there too. She was running around leading chants and singing with a choir that was set up along the way.
4: My name is Sora Anna Enkin-Lewis, but I go most frequently by Sunny. When I went to my first climate strike, I really didn't think too much of it, and it really quickly became like one of the biggest parts of my life. There's no other issue that has literally threatened the existence and the safety of all of
1: humanity. I'm AC Rowe. This is the Doc Project. Today, the story of the youth climate justice movement, and what happens when the biggest threat to humanity collides with COVID-19. We're gonna start last fall, at the height of the youth-led climate strikes. Megan Mast is going to take it from here.
3: I first met the youth climate strikers in Winnipeg when I attended one of their Monday night meetings. I'd heard that they needed a videographer for their week of action last September, and so I thought I'd help out. There was something magical about the meeting. The room was packed full of 20 or 30 kids, some preteens. The oldest was around 17 years old. They went around the room saying their names and which gender pronouns they used, and if they were a bag of chips, what flavor they'd be. Then they moved quickly through their agenda, checking things off the list, and assigning tasks. I was so impressed watching them work, their earnestness, their work ethic, and their commitment. I know that I wasn't doing things like this as a teenager. I wanted to understand them better. I feel like if I'm an old woman one day,
0: i will be really mad at myself if I don't do something. I feel like I would just kind of hate myself in the past if I didn't do something now and I'd feel really guilty because I feel like my great-grandchildren would also hate me and my great-great-grandchildren would also hate me because they would be like you could have done something for us and it's a it feels like a responsibility that I want to take care of people who are gonna come after me and I really 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 need to do this work so that people don't hate me in in the future (laughs)
3: if that makes sense. Miauda is 13 years old now. It's been over a year since her first protest. Sunny is 18. She started attending strikes just a few months after Miauda. the two crossed paths at marches and meetings. Sunny's played a leadership role in the Manitoba Youth for Climate Action Group for the last year, Facilitating meetings, and helping organize strikes every Friday. Earlier this year, she started planning a bigger strike for April, to coincide with protests around the globe. The plan was, everyone would gather at the legislature, then march down to Portage, the busiest street in the city. From there, they'd walk to the Forks, where youth from Aboriginal Youth Opportunities would lead a round dance, and then Bike Winnipeg would start a bike convoy. They wanted to bring together different community groups so everyone could see a place for themselves in the climate movement. Sunny started keeping an audio diary in the lead-up.
4: Hi, it's Sunny. There's just under two months left until the April 24th strike. Um, We just announced it on our Instagram. So hoping that people will start getting excited about it Um, and I just came from eight-hour weekly strike, and it's really nice to kind of get back in the streets and and see some of the people who have made the climate a priority. Um, So, yeah, feeling pretty good about everything um, and excited to kind of get into the meat of organizing. Bye.
3: Next time I hear from Sunny, she's sounding less upbeat.
4: Hi, it's Sunny and we're really struggling to get people to come to the meetings and get enough capacity planning, but there's lots of solidarity actions going on with Wet'suwet'en, so that's been really motivating. And the
3: tech mine is not happening, so really excited about that. The Frontier Oil Sands mine was going to be the biggest tar sands project in Canada, but in February, the company decided to pull out. Tech announced their decision after weeks of blockades in solidarity with Wet'suwet'en First Nation and amidst intense pressure by the climate movement. It was a huge moment for climate activists like Sunny. You know, it's it's been a hard few
4: months with this movement, but there's a lot of fighting going on and this was a really big win. So yeah, looking forward to the week to come.
3: Bye. Organizing for climate justice can be heavy work, full of setbacks. There's also a lot of psychological pressure, that if nobody listens and nothing changes, they're the generation that are going to feel it, and they're running out of time. I wonder, how do these two young women remain motivated, overcoming that fear, using it rather than being crushed by it? I'm Cree
0: from the Plains, from Kahewan, Cree Nation, and Treaty 6. Sometimes I'll look at myself in the mirror, and I'll study my face, you know, I'll look at like how my nose is, how my eyes are, and I think of like all the millions of people before me, and how I just have a little bit of their face in my face, a little bit of their love, a little bit of their pain, their laughter, their tears. And it makes me feel really, really proud of who I am, at all of these people like, I am the manifestation of them. I am the manifestation of their prayers and everything that they've gone through. Like, that's all inside of me.
3: Miawara comes from a long lineage of strong women. Her grandmother survived residential school and managed to hang on to her language, despite the school systematically depriving kids of their culture.
0: I'm the granddaughter of someone that they couldn't do that to. They couldn't hurt her that way and she's still here, and I'm the granddaughter of that. Like, there's resistance in our bloodline.
3: Miawada carries that history with her, and it informs the way she lives her life. She says she always sort of knew about her grandmother's childhood, but the reality of it had never really sunk in. Then one night, her grandmother told her a story of something that had happened to her when she was small. So she was at residential school for three years, and her parents visited her once because it was really difficult to get there, I guess. This is Miawita's grandma retelling the story for her. The quality is a little shaky, so just lean in for a minute. My mother and father drove that huge distance
0: by horse and wagon, 25 miles, to come and see us. And she says she can remember sitting at the window and she saw her mother wearing a really bright hat, like a bright color, and... It just stuck out to her from so far away. And I remember that color. I remember the moment
2: and the heartbeat, all of that. And two hours later, they had to leave. And I remember clinging to my mother's skirts and crying till my nose bled because I didn't want her to leave. I didn't want them to leave. So, even though crying might be seen as a moment of weakness, it isn't necessarily so. It could be a moment of strength because I think without those tears, I would have internalized a lot more of that trauma. And it wouldn't have been very good for me in the long run. Or for you
3: because that kind of trauma is intergenerational. Miaoita's grandmother didn't just hang on to her language. She passed it down to her children and grandchildren.
0: When I was born, the first words that she said to me were in Cree. And that didn't impact me a lot when I was little. I remember my mom would tell me that sometimes, but the more I think about it, it's just when she was a little girl, she went through so much just for people who wanted to take that those words away from her. And she held on to them. As a little tiny girl, she managed to keep them deep inside of her just so she could say it to the next little girl. And I always found that was really beautiful.
3: It was an act of resistance and love for the next generation. Sonny also carries the resilience of the generations that came before her. One of the most important parts of my identity is being a Jewish woman. Sonny's mom's parents are Jewish, and Sonny was raised in the faith. Her dad's mom, Sonny's grandmother, isn't Jewish, but she grew up in Nazi Germany during the Second World War.
4: Being Jewish, the Holocaust, is something that's started to be taught to you quite young. It's just kind of a part of who
3: you are and a part of who you grow up to be. Sunny's grandmother's family was Catholic and resisted the Nazis where they could. Her great-grandfather refused to join the Nazi party even though that meant he was demoted at work. Her grandmother wrote about this time.
4: I was probably in, in around grade four and she had just written a collection of stories to share with her sons and her grandchildren about her life. The one that stuck out to me most was about how she was
3: in class, one time in history class. Sunny's grandmother was in high school at the time. She doesn't remember what the topic was anymore, but she remembers raising her hand and challenging the teacher. She soon learned the dangerous consequences of speaking out. Within half an hour, the Gestapo was at her father's office to take him to the Frankfurt police headquarters for interrogation. When he was finally allowed to leave, he was given a warning that if anything like that were to happen again, his daughter would be taken away from him and given to a Nazi family for a proper education.
4: So it really stuck with me how much of a risk every single word, every single action was. Hearing these stories made me really admire my Omi as someone who wasn't going to go with the status quo. I've always tried to think about how I would act, you know, if I was in my grandmother's type of situation. And I think that's a big part of why I do this work, why I try to do my part to to help save the Planet f- and save humanity from the environmental destruction that's going on. I think I'm very lucky to have all these rights that were taken from the German people. I can go out and protest, I can spend my time organizing, I can yell at the politicians and openly criticize the Prime Minister. And so if My great-grandfather still wasn't complacent even when it risked his life. Then what excuse do I have to be complacent?
3: So Sunny threw herself into the climate movement. After the global demonstration last fall, she and other students were planning for the big climate strike in April. They were looking into permits to shut down Portage and Main, the busiest intersection in Winnipeg. They were reaching out to teachers about bringing in their classes.
4: Hi, it's Sunny. It's March 1st, so we're officially, you know, in the month before the strike. Um, we had a meeting yesterday, and it actually went really well. It seems like people are starting to get excited for the strike, which is really good to see. So, yeah, I just wanted to update about that part of the this crazy busy
3: time, but yeah, bye. Momentum was building. The students were committed. And then, in a matter of days, everything changed.
2: Starting today, I'm recommending that Manitobans apply social distancing strategies in their day-to-day lives.
3: The first presumptive cases of COVID-19 arrived in Manitoba.
2: I also want to caution uh, everyone, especially those at high risk, to carefully consider uh, uh, before attending crowded events and gatherings.
3: Every day there was something new. The city shut down as the government went from recommendations to stricter measures. Today we are taking uh, further decisive action uh, by declaring a state of emergency in the province we make this declaration today to ensure that the 50-person uh, gathering limit is respected as it has been.
2: Today I'm issuing updated orders under the Public Health Act. We'll be limiting public gatherings of no more than 10 people at any indoor or outdoor We are announcing place that Manitoba's K-12 schools will have their in-school classes suspended indefinitely for this school year.
1: AC here. Coming up, Sonny, Meowta, and the youth climate activists take on COVID-19. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap.
2: Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. How are That's you the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing.
1: The Wiretap Archives. Available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi, it's Sunny checking in. A lot has changed since I last checked in. The pandemic has sort of started to hit Canada and things are closing down. Uh, my school just got canceled for the rest of the year. My workplace just closed. And it's become pretty clear that we're not going to be able to do the sort of mass mobilization that we were hoping for. I'm sad that we're not able to do do that same sort of thing we did in September um, because there was so much energy that day, and I think it really gave some life to the climate movement and it, it certainly helped me get energized but we're gonna figure something else out and we're gonna try our best to make sure that climate change is still talked about. Well
0: school was cancelled so learning's online.
3: I called up miawada to see how she was navigating these changes.
0: I guess that's the only thing that's been big for me. Other than all my activities being canceled and like not being able to see my
3: friends. And how how is physically distancing changed the way that you're participating in activism right now? I think right now they're trying to move towards online
0: strikes. So just kind of posting things on social media, showing like solidarity and other actions like that. So I guess that has really drastically changed our approach and also our methods of planning. So it's it's pretty different. This pandemic has
4: been pretty hard on all of the youth involved in organizing for such a, a drastic shift in what we've been working towards, but then also in the ways that it's been affecting people across the board. Um, it does put a strain on people's mental health and myself included in that we really don't know how this pandemic will go. We don't know how the world's going to be ever. I mean, things continue to change so quickly. Um, And I will check in again once, once we know more that's happening.
3: These young women face a huge challenge. Few people saw the pandemic coming. Nobody could have known how it would derail the momentum they'd been building. But with COVID-19, like with everything, they seem to draw their strength and courage from the past.
0: I guess I hear from a lot of people that like about trauma in the bloodstream and how there's pain and hurt in the bloodstream of our people and I, I really don't think that's true. I think it's there's hope in our bloodstream, there's resilience, there's prayer, there's a lot of love. my great-grandfather and my grandmother's family
4: they knew that just those actions wouldn't stop Hitler and would't save all the Jewish people and you know make the make the war not happen. They still did what they could. It's just about those small steps. I don't need to be a historical activist. I just need to do
3: what I can. By April, Sunny and the other young activists are brainstorming other ways of getting their message across. They can't take to the streets en masse like they did for the global climate strike last year. So they have to find another way. And despite feeling discouraged, they persist and adapt.
4: On April 24th, um, we're going to be doing something we've kind of been calling a sound strike. COVID and climate change are connected and there are two big emergencies happening at once. This, this pandemic is a lesson to us. Um, it's a lesson that we, we can come together and we can respond to emergencies like they are emergencies.
3: Their plan is what Sunny calls a sound strike. People would gather with their families and roommates, each in their own home, to protest with sound.
4: Yeah, so we're going to record some of our key uh, key values, and we're also going to pair it with a song written by Tim Baker. And that's going to be played on different radio stations. So we're hoping that this sound can kind of flood the city on April 24th. And people
0: can hear our words and feel empowered. It's been said a lot that this isn't social distancing. You know, this is physical distancing. So we're, we're only apart from each other physically. And we can still be quite a strong community, even though we have to be separate right now. But definitely I'm sure that when this is all over, the movement is really, it's not gonna falter because of this, because it's proven that even in a time that we can't even like be with each other, we can still take action. And I think that's like a powerful thing for us to understand. Hi, it's Sunny checking in. Um, There's about a week left
4: until the sound action just under a week. Um, I think I'm going to just play the radio recording um, outside on my front porch, and um, I've heard that some people are gonna be riding around in bikes, some people will be playing it from cars, lots of different things. So yeah, I'll update you again once we see how it all turns out.
3: The countdown continues. People hang posters around the city and write chalk messages on sidewalks to spread the word.
4: Hi, it's Sunny checking in. It's April 24th and there's literally two minutes until the Make Some Noise for the Climate action starts. So yeah, here with my family, um, we're just getting ready for everything. So we're just about to hear um, the song It's the Only World We've Got by Tim Baker. Um, This song was written for the climate strike movement And it was played at our September 27th strike. So it's a really uh, significant song
3: for us. The last large protest, almost a year ago, sounded like this.
4: Some people just don't care that our earth is dying. It's becoming
3: hotter and hotter. This protest is different. Subtler, but beautiful. All across Winnipeg, from their homes or on bikes, people tune into the university radio stations.
1: I'm Thomas, and I'm tuning into the radio right now just outside of my house. Um, I think it's really important that we have this sound action today because I've seen lots of people dancing in the streets and singing along, and I think it's really uplifted all of us. Um, which is really important for us because part of the reason why we strike in general is to uplift our spirits together.
4: My name is Abby Odovich. I am listening from my back deck in South Winnipeg. And I just wanted to let everyone know that even though we are apart, we are still united by hope. And when this pandemic is over, we will unite together stronger than ever.
0: My name is Anil, and we are just out here on our sidewalk dancing with some neighbors across the streets. I think it is so important that we know as a local community that we all still care about the climate crisis. It's Miawata, and I'm listening from my dining room in Winnipeg. Um, Striking from home, it's different, it doesn't have the same energy, but you know that there are a lot of people all over the world doing just the same as you, so at the same time you don't feel quite so alone. Um, And one thing I want people to know about this movement is that while it is built on a lot of anger and frustration, it's built on all hope. And I think hope is what's going to bring us through the coronavirus. And hope is what's going to bring us through the climate crisis, too.
2: Uh. While the fast take the west, we'll take our future back
1: That doc was produced by Megan Mast. It was edited by Alison Cook. Special thanks to media archivist Chris Runyon in Winnipeg. For photos of Meowta and Sonny, and a link to this song, The Only World, by former Hey Rosetta frontman Tim Baker, head to our website. We're at cbc.ca slash that's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Allison Cook, Kevin Ball, and me. Althea Manassen and Tahiat Machpoob are our digital producers. Our senior producer is Julia Poggle. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/slash podcasts.